over 4.6 billion years. The names were accepted only after decades of evidence gathering and discussion by the International Commission on Stratigraphy. Epochs and the eras they belong to have specific technical meanings, and geologists take them seriously. Declaring a new epoch would imply that scientists believe humans were altering the course of the Earth's evolution. The Anthropocene had gone through none of the usual assessments, and esteemed as Crutzen is, he was an atmospheric chemist working on environmental stresses, not a geologist who was an expert in rock strata. Yet by 2008, members of the Stratigraphy Commission of the Geological Society of London realized that the term was increasingly being used in the literature as if it were a formal epic. The society decided it had to confront the trend. This cautious and conservative group meets in the Old World Council Room in London's Burlington House, complete with solemn portraits on the walls where Victorian giants of the sciences such as Charles Darwin once walked. In this heavily traditional setting, the scientists began the geologic assessment of the Anthropocene. Perhaps to their own surprise, most of them agreed that the term had merit as a potentially formal unit of the proper geologic time scale and should be examined. Geologist Philip Gibbard, who also chaired the International Commission on Stratigraphy's Subcommission on Quaternary Stratigraphy, which has power over the geological time scale, proposed a working group that has been exploring the question ever since. To make a case, scientists must show that human impacts will leave a clear mark, fossilized in strata, that could be readily recognized tens or hundreds of millions of years from now by some geologists in the far future. The focus on strata is important. To a geologist, geologic strata equal geologic time. The key is a time-rock interval, a layer of strata that can be hammered, sampled, or dug in, as for dinosaur bones, and that defines a new course of history. For the Anthropocene epoch to have such deep geologic meaning and to have any chance of being made formal, it must show its own time-rock unit. Is there enough evidence to pass muster? One could make a good case. Let's start with minerals. The fundamental components of rocks. Metals, for example, are almost always bound up in various oxides, carbonates and silicates, with rare exceptions, such as gold. Humans have learned to separate metals out of these compounds in huge quantities. We have manufactured more than 500 million metric tons of aluminum since World War II, enough to coat the entire U.S. in kitchen foil. As we scatter billions of cans, appliances, cigarette pack liners, and other refuse across the landscape and into landfills, pure aluminum is becoming part of modern sediment layers. The last great rise in mineral forms occurred about 2.5 billion years ago, when the Earth's atmosphere became oxygenated. The event produced an array of oxides and hydroxides, including rust, which incidentally changed the color of the landscape from gray to red. But humans have now created another great rise by synthesizing many mineral compounds, such as tungsten carbide, common in tools and ballpoint pens. Perhaps the most striking inventions are mineraloids, such as glasses and plastics. Before World War II, plastics were limited to a few products such as shellac, bakelite, and rayon. But after the war, they rocketed to the 300 million metric tons now made annually, roughly equivalent to the total human body mass. 
the qualities we find so useful in plastics, durability and resistance to decay, mean that they persist in the environment for many years. The signature of plastic litter in the ground is strong enough, but it is even more geologically significant in the oceans. Because many sea creatures eat plastics, much of it ends up in the muds of seafloor when the animals die, a first step to fossilization. Invisible to our eyes but more pervasive still are microplastics, such as the fibers detached from synthetic clothes. Even on remote ocean floors, far from land, researchers are finding thousands of fibers in every square meter of mud. Human-made rocks are everywhere, too. For sheer bulk, concrete now reigns supreme. We have manufactured something like half a trillion metric tons to date. That is about a kilogram of concrete for every square meter of the Earth's surface. Concrete